You're listening to the Therapy for Women podcast with licensed therapists Amanda White, Fern Formel, and Gabby Salomone. Whether you're contemplating therapy for the first time, already in therapy, or reconsidering it, this podcast will empower you with tips, advice, and plenty of real talk so you can get the most out of your sessions. Welcome to our first episode. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Hello, everyone. So I'm Amanda. (laughs) I'm Fern. And I'm Gabby. And we all work at Therapy for Women Center in different leadership roles here. Exactly. And today, Fern and I are going to be interviewing Gabby, so you all can get to know her a little better and learn from her story. Yes, this is what's very exciting. I'm super excited for the podcast because of this, right? Like, I like having those bigger conversations instead of, like, the little blips on social media all the time. Like, I feel like you can't get to really know too, too much about people there. And I like this better. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think there's something about being on a podcast that allows for an even more authentic presentation of self, right? Versus not that social media is totally curated, but it is to some degree. And in a podcast, when we're just kind of talking and we're asking questions, we can just kind of, we can laugh and be silly and you just see more people's personalities. I know that's what I usually like about podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It shows like who each person is a little bit more and gets a little deeper in what we actually like and what makes us tick and why we do this work. Exactly. And I think too, right, like part of the the intention of this podcast is, you know, we are such a big believer in the importance of fit with client and therapist and – while we, you know, put up people's bios and you can learn about them on social media, you can actually like understand and feel their their vibe a little <laughs> bit more on a podcast. Yes. Yeah. No, I get, I agree with that. And there's something to say about like seeing how we like interact with each other that's I think special and unique too because all of us together, there's like so many little like nuances that we all have. I agree with what you're saying, Gabby, especially since you and I are going to be hosting most of these episodes. I think Amanda made a good point in saying that this is a good opportunity for anyone who's listening to get to know the two people who are hosting the podcast and get to know our personalities and they like hearing our voices for 30 to 45 minutes and all that fun stuff. I hope so, because, man, I've been told my accent is hard. (laughs) Philly accent. It's a little more than a Philly accent. It is a <laughs> Delco accent. Okay, so say water. Water. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Do you also say romantic? Romantic. Okay, good. Okay, just checking. Yeah. It's <laughs> right. My best friend pronounces milk, milk, mm. and pillow, pillow. Mm. Mm, okay, I've yeah. heard that one before, and I'm like. Oh. And she's from Connecticut, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that comes from then. Yeah. But you know. But so that's the first fun thing to know yes. about you, Gabby. You've yes. got a Delco accent. Yeah. Delco accent. Because I was born and raised right here in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Um yeah. And the furthest I've traveled to live is right over the bridge in South Jersey. And then I came running right back over the bridge as soon as I could. <laughs> 
you really expanded your horizons is what you're saying. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. I was like, uh, let's try it. And then I was like, no, I hate this. Please take me home. <laughs> Well, Gabby, so for the people that are, you know, listening to this first episode of ours, what, aside from the fact that you are, you know, born and raised right here, right, in, in Philly, um, and that you have a Delco accent, <laughs> what else do you want our listeners to know about you? If we were going to ask, like, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I always like to joke that I am the unlikely therapist, that I went to undergrad, um on a kind of actual whim I was like I guess I'll go to Widener I don't really know what I'll do there but sure let's try it and then I ended up in like a psychology 101 class and I was like I like this and at the same time I was taking pretty almost like the same exact time I was taking like a consumer behaviors course and I was like why people buy things Mm. I was like I really like this Um, psychology yeah psychology And so, yeah, I like went through, did a bunch of like business psych courses and a couple developmental psych courses and got out and the recession was there and I could (laughs) not get a job. And the only place I was hiring was community behavioral health. And I had zero clue what I was doing. None at all. Should should not have been there. But there (laughs) I was. Um, And I started doing community behavioral health. So, okay, so you went and you got your master's in social work. Yep. And then what? I worked at the Renfrew Center for two years um, as a therapist there at the residential um, facility. Eating disorders. Yep, in Philadelphia, um, eating disorders. And I worked with all different age groups there, uh, from their youngest adolescent to their oldest geriatric patient in their 70s. I worked with all different populations there. Um, And I was there for two years. And then I met Amanda during that time too Mm -hmm. at yoga. And I met Maddie, one of our other therapists during that time doing yoga. And we got chatting, Maddie and I, and Amanda and I chatted like a couple different times. Yeah. Then, yeah, I was Renfrew for two years. And then I left Renfrew and I went to Rogers Behavioral Health where they specialize in OCD. Got trained in exposure response and prevention, ERP work and I worked there for a year um and during I guess the time I was at Rogers was when Amanda was like oh I have like a part-time position coming up yeah yeah Maddie was like oh man did you see Amanda posted this I was like yeah yeah it says license oh my license isn't in yet like I'm getting you know fully licensed at the end of February she's like just interview Mm -hmm. so I interviewed and Amanda brought me on as like a part-time therapist and I was like, I think, do we say like four to six clients a week I was going to start with? Yeah. (laughs) Gabby saw like eight to 10. (laughs) Of course she did. (laughs) She would work her full-time job and then come in the evening and see clients. Yeah. I'd work my full-time job and then come in the evening and see clients. And then pandemic happened. I remember, Gabby, I, one of the reasons I hired you was because in your interview, you, I was asking like, What kind of clients do you like to see? What kind of work do you like to see? Or, you know, work do you like to do? And you were talking about some of the OCD and health anxiety stuff. And you were like, I will just do exposures with people where 
if they're afraid of germs, I will make them like lick their shoe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll have them lick their shoe, like lick your hand and touch stuff. Like yeah. a little bit about that feels just a little evil, Gabby. <laughs> lick your shoe. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. Right. Like lick your hand and touch stuff and then lick your hand again. Mm-hmm. That's nice. <laughs> I've had a picnic on a bathroom floor once. Wow. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that the weirdest exposure do you think you've ever done? Or what is like, maybe not weirdest, but most unique? Most unique exposure maybe I've done with a client. I had a client that had like health anxiety and had like this belief that about tremors, that he had a tremor. And so we did exposures where he sat in like one of those vibrating chair pads and did like little finite tasks to actually make his body vibrate. Yeah, that was a unique one. I'm trying to think of other unique ones like harm OCD, sitting with a client who's like holding a knife to me. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So for people that don't know, I mean, this is a very this is very different than other types of mm-hmm. therapy. It's a very unique skill set yes. to have compared to you know, what you average think a therapist is. Yeah. Will you talk a little bit about like why it's different and why OCD doesn't work with like regular talk therapy? Yeah. So ERP or exposure response and prevention is a type of therapy where you do the things that you're avoidant of and anxious of because the belief is that if you are, you know, avoidance maintains the anxiety Avoidance maintains the dissatisfaction. So the more you avoid, the more you remain complacent, the more you remain stuck. So if we do the things that we're afraid of, then it lessens the anxiety because you habituate to it. The more you do it, the easier it is, right? Like Mm -hmm. the first time you run, can you run a straight mile usually the first time you do it? No. Can't even (laughs) run a mile now. (laughs) (laughs) It brings me back to gym class and being traumatized. <laughs> right. Can't really do it now either. But um the more like so the a goal is like the more you do it, the easier it becomes, right? Mm-hmm. So the more you run, the easier it becomes. Like like physically and mentally, right? Like physically it's easier because it's a habit, but mentally also you just get used to doing it. Yep. So you don't avoid it and you you realize like you can tolerate the anxiety. It's not that the we're trying to make the anxiety go away or the fear completely go away. You learn that you're able to tolerate it and you're able to get through it. That's actually what keeps people usually stuck is this belief that they can't do it or they can't handle the full anxiety wave. But the full anxiety wave really only lasts about 30 seconds. Yeah. Right. It's like physical body sensations that we don't realize we they will go away yes. if we sit with them or do something, you know. Yep. We regularly misinterpret physical sensations we experience in our bodies as catastrophic. And they're just like signals that our body's setting off that doesn't actually mean something's going on because our bodies are actually made to protect us. Mm-hmm. So like you feel a physical sensation and you associate it with like Oh my god, I'm hot. I can't breathe because my t- chest is tight. No, it's just a physical sensation. You can breathe. You just have to slow down and focus on breathing. Focus on your breath. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's just that misinterpretation. So you feel it, you misinterpret it, which then increases your fear and anxiety, which then causes more physical sensations, 
which that you interpret as threatening and just circles around and around. Um, But yeah, so when I talk about exposures, though, like we're not doing the most scary of scary things right away. I think that's important for people to know because licking his shoes is that's like <laughs> zero to hundred. Yeah, that's zero to hundred, right? Like that's that's you way may never better. have to lick a shoe if you if you yeah. do therapy with an OCD therapist. Yeah. That might not be what you're working on, right? Like it might be uh, contamination, but like fears of how you open food packages. Right, like putting your hand directly into a bag of potato chips. We all do it, but some people find that really unnerving and can't. Hmm. And so then that's the exposure we're working on. And you watch the anxiety come up and then come down. And a lot of it is tracking and timing and all those fun things. Um, hmm. To even like little things like checking, right? Like checking mm-hmm. windows, checking door locks, things like that. If every night you had a routine of you checked every single window in your house and you checked every single door in your house before you could get into bed. And if you didn't, you'd have to get out of bed and do it. Or if maybe you have like the perpetual doubt and your thought is, oh, my God, I didn't do it. But you did it. and But you get out of bed and you go and do it again. Mm-hmm. That's OCD. Mm-hmm. And so our goal would be maybe first is, okay, you're going to check, but you're going to check in opposite order. You're going to check, but you're only going to check every other window. You're going to check and do like a zigzag pattern to get to the point where you're not going to check or you're going to take your significant other's response of that they did it, mm-hmm. even maybe they did, maybe they didn't, to then work to like, it's not a part of your routine anymore. And you can have that thought of, I need to check every single door and window to, eh, they're probably locked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You're like. You're changing and challenging that behavior. Yes. Yes. That's my favorite thing to do is change and challenge the behavior, but also like challenge the thought a little bit of maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sitting in that that ambiguity. Yes. Because we put meaning on the thoughts that we have. We can't control the thoughts we have. Totally. I mean, that is like, say that again. I think that's so important. Yeah. We cannot control the thoughts that we have. And really what makes thoughts scary is that we put importance on the thoughts that we have, right? Mm-hmm. So if I have the thought, I need to check all my windows because somebody's going to break in my house, I put the importance on it, right? Mm. Once you like do the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Once I do the action, I've put the importance on it. Or even so like true. the thought of, okay, my big intrusive thought all the time is, my dog is going to fly through the window in the car and get hurt, right? Mm-hmm. It's a harm thought regularly. Mm-hmm. I could do all the safety things of like buckling him in, making sure he's set not in the middle, like whatever, right? Or I can just be like, thank you, brain, for that thought. We're going to move forward from that today. You know we can't buckle Leo in uh, <laughs> because he's such a spaz in the back seat, and he regularly gets himself caught into all of the harness devices that I have bought him <laughs> because maybe I have given in to those intrusive thoughts that I've had and it just doesn't work well for me <laughs> or Leo. Mm-hmm. I think this is so cool too, Gabby, because I mean, I don't have OCD, but I, one thing that I really realized after, you know, the past couple years and stuff like that being on social media mm-hmm. is I used to obsessively check my comments 
and like my DMs. And I didn't realize that that was a way I was dealing with anxiety. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I literally thought I would die. (laughs) Someone (laughs) would say something horrible and I wouldn't be able to control it. I wouldn't be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. Unless I checked and it became super compulsive where I would check like every hour, every 30, you know, I couldn't just put up a post and leave it because I was convinced something terrible would happen. And thankfully over the past, like I knew I was doing it. I couldn't stop. I wasn't really interested in trying to stop it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's like only been in the past six months or so because I was I was sick a couple months ago and I couldn't do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then I realized, like, oh, I'm not going to die. <laughs> You're not going to die. They're the world's not, not going to end. <laughs> the world's not going to end. They're not, you know, yeah. All the things that you were doing mm-hmm. was just keeping it in place. Right. Right. The right. Because then you check. become dependent on checking to reduce anxiety instead of just letting the anxiety pass. Pass. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the more we check, the more it fuels our anxiety. Mm. Right. Because then as soon as you check it, it's like, well, check again. Check again. Do it again. Uh, Did you really check? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you get them all? Mm. Right. The worst. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But if we just kind of like, you know, I don't need to check right now. I'll do it later. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. The one time when procrastination is a good idea. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's the one time procrastination is fine. I'm I'm curious what you think about this, Gabby. So when I've worked with clients before, right, where we're kind of like, pretty sure you have OCD. Mm -hmm. You know, they're checking, they have rituals, a variety of different things. I find that for a lot of people, one of the things that gives them the most relief in the beginning is just having a label for their mind working the way it is. Because when you have like, harm ones like what if I wake up and I hurt my entire family those are really scary thoughts and I think a lot of people are like what's wrong with me like I have really violent thoughts I have really taboo thoughts right because we know OCD thoughts are tend to be very taboo Mm -hmm. just having that relief of oh I'm not quote deranged yep I have OCD and that's what OCD is does to our brain and so I just I'm curious what you think about that with people just having relief of having a label for it Oh, I think it's amazing, right? Like people go years without being diagnosed, without having terminology for what's going on. And then they get that label, right? Like that diagnosis, that like verbiage, they get that handout, right? They get the validation that they are not alone in these thoughts. Mm -hmm. So often when I work with clients with OCD, they believe that theirs is the worst Mm. that we've ever seen and that nobody can help them and nobody else has it like this. Mm -hmm. Until you plop them into an OCD community and start getting them on like listening to OCD podcasts and handing them things to read and uh, directing them to different like apps that have support groups and things like that for them to be like, oh, I am not alone here. There's lots of other people doing these same exact things as I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is also rewarding and, and confirming, right? That they have hope because so often OCD is like they're, you feel hopeless with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. isolating. Especially if, yeah, you judge yourself so much and you don't want to say it out mm-hmm. loud and yeah, you're yeah. scared of it. Yep. 
Yeah, that one. Yeah, you're scared of it, especially like if you say it out loud, then blank will happen. Mm, right. You're going to manifest it somehow. Yes. Yes. That magical thinking. Yeah. And I also think too, Gabby, again, I'm curious, like if you feel like people know this about OCD, right? That OCD isn't just about thoughts, but you can also have intrusive images pop Mm -hmm. through your head. Like that's how my OCD manifests mostly. I have intrusive images. So Mm -hmm. I can just be like standing, brushing my teeth. And all of a sudden I just get a flash of me like slamming my face into the sink. Yes. Yeah. I didn't do anything to make that thought come through, (laughs) but it happens. And, and you do, once you get proper treatment and everything, you can say like, thanks for that brain. Really, really made my day. Really helpful. Thank (laughs) you so much for that one. Right. Like even like the image, right. Like of like harming somebody or something else or seeing bad things, like quote unquote bad things. Right. Like if I don't do this then the, like the thought of like the bad thing that'll happen, um, an accident, something like that comes out um, to even like, you know, sexually intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. right? They're there, you know, and that's, you know, it, it comes out, right? Like for an, I'm sure you've witnessed or worked with clients, you know, as a sex therapist uh, with clients with like intrusive thoughts, like sexual intrusive thoughts and fears around things, um, even pleasure, right? Like yeah. there's definitely like I've cl- worked with clients with like fear of pleasure, because mm. they need to deny themselves because they feel that they can't have pleasure or hope that they need to be punished. Mm-hmm. And so they try to deny themselves pleasure. Yeah. Like that sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like to put it, you know, to put it so yeah. simply, like kind of what we've we've talked about, right? Like you deserve to live an incredible life, which includes pleasure and all these things and I'm not going to go on a tangent because we all know I could talk about pleasure for days <laughs> so just like we will next episode yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like for OCD right to know that I mean we're talking about therapists specifically you Gabby right who work with OCD and that like there is treatment out there and there's nothing wrong with you and you can't help how your brain is made yep and there's ways for you to get like what you want out of life yes 100 like exposures and realizing like ocd is keeping you from the things that you value hmm. ocd regularly likes to latch on to the things that are most important to you mm-hmm. right even it's awful like fertility right like mm. i have a client who you know her ocd latched on to her, her fertility issues Mm-hmm. And so every cycle, it was like working on like challenging the OCD to quote unquote not do everything perfectly, mm. to not have any rituals around the injections or yeah. um, again, hope, right? She yeah. had this belief that if I feel hope, then it's not mm. going to work. Or if I tell people yes. early, it's that's so interesting that I didn't think about it. I mean, what's kind of weird that I'm just realizing is I think regularly in that community, we almost promote OCD behaviors Mm -hmm. by being like, don't tell people. Be, I mean, the amount of things that they tell, you know, people who are pregnant not to eat, not to do, nothing is safe. I mean, it'll. It'll end it all. Wow. That's just a big realization I had. Yes. Yeah. Also, I recently had a good conversation of like, 
OCD in baseball, right? Watching the World oh, Series. Like the sports and uh-huh. stuff. Rituals. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Rituals mm-hmm. in baseball um, is very prevalent. I don't know if you guys Is could... it more than other sports or are you just thinking because of the World Series? I think just because of the World Series, I notice you notice it way more. But baseball in general, I think you notice some little rituals they do way more. Yeah. Then well, they have time, other. kind of maybe than you know basketball. You don't have time to, yes, do something before you go up to bat. Yes, that's true. That's a good point. Yes, they all have like a little something, a little wiggle, a little like touch, <laughs> like that they do before they get up to bat. I'm thinking of Bryce Harper right now. Like he does like a little shimmy wiggle before. <laughs> like he literally does this. It's so weird. I'll have to send you guys a video later, but he does like this shimmy wiggle thing where he like twists to like the left or the right and like dips in before he like gets ready to bat. And I was like that every single time I was like, Mm -hmm. that's a ritual. Mm -hmm. Well, and then if he doesn't do it right, it's not because he right or if it doesn't work, if he bats, I I don't watch baseball. (laughs) He bats badly. (laughs) It's because of the ritual, not because of like him or whatever yes yes definitely like that is what it is it's because the ritual or he didn't bat like it's not but if he didn't do it then also the thought could be if i don't do it well i won't hit that home run right so it becomes this way to control like it's this false sense of control yes yeah like i'll throw my sister under the bus right now she (laughs) played softball for years and her team was pretty good and they went to like championship a couple years and she wouldn't wash her socks. <laughs> it isn't always that. <laughs> it's always not washing something. She was a catcher. <laughs> okay. They oh, smell no. so bad. My mom had to tell her to leave them outside. Put your bag <laughs> under the porch. Yeah. They cannot come in the house. <laughs> they stunk. That's true. Are you worried that you're going to wash off like the magic dust of yes. sweat? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. That yeah. the hat, like the hats, like all of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's one of those things that's ingrained, but like, same with like we were talking about pregnancies, right? Like, there's so many like ritual things. Like, you probably don't even realize even like what the tradition is for the families, right? Like, mm-hmm. with decorating rooms and preparing and telling people mm-hmm. and doing this and not that and don't tell the name or you can't right. say this or what what just let us be happy for a minute right although i will say about not telling the name my mom told me a good point once what that if you tell the name someone always and this is maybe a little bit of a superstition but (laughs) someone always has a negative story about someone with that name and then it like ruins the name for you that makes a lot of i mean i think that's just true yeah There's billions of people in the world and only so many names. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can see that one. Or the, but that was what I was going to name my baby. Yeah. You're not even pregnant. Please stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like sad, right? It puts the onus on like, right? It's your fault. If you told people too early, you mm-hmm. caused the miscarriage. If you bought a crib or started the nursery too early, which is right. such crap. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I could I can understand someone who's going through infertility that you are more cautious, right? And you don't yeah. want to get your hope up. That's that's a different thing, right? We're yeah. not talking about that. We're talking mm-hmm. about someone who's having a perfectly healthy, strong, you know, pregnancy. Yep. 
quote unquote normal pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And is kind of diving into these superstitions, which is just mm-hmm. like an underlying of OCD. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, not allowing themselves to maybe totally enjoy the parts of pregnancy that they want to. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Right. Which to Fern's point, it's distinct from just you not wanting to tell people or mm-hmm. you wanting to wait or you wanting to do like. Yes. OCD robs you of of what you want to do. Yes. And your joy and presence. Yes. 100%. Yes. It's not just about being clean. Right. Yeah. Yeah, let's what are some superstitions, <laughs> false myths about OCD? Chloe Kardashian. <laughs> Speak more, please. Close CD. Close CD makes my blood. It's not boil. in the DSM. It's not in the DSM. <laughs> um I I might get it. What hate. is this? I don't know what this is. I am not a Kardashian fan, but she regularly is like, well, I have close CD. And it's like her organizing Oreo cookies into a clear glass jar. That sounds fun, though. <laughs> it is fun. It is but fun. It's not. It's not OCD because OCD yeah. is like debilitating. Debilitating. Like you can't leave your house unless your couch is vacuumed and your pillows are all lined a certain way, and then you might have to go back and do it again because it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. That is OCD, and you right. do it. OCD is not just cleaning and organizing. No, no, it's like this belief that, or this urgency that you have to clean to get the germs off. And even when you do clean, it's still dirty. And so then, if it's dirty, then a uh, you know you'll get sick, and your family will get sick, and you'll die, and they'll die, and all these things. But it's not just like oh, I like my house this way, or like. I like my clothes folded a certain way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. OCD is more like if I don't fold my clothes and it doesn't feel right, I have to do it again and again and again until mm-hmm. it feels right and it looks right to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gabby, would you say like OCD, like the distinction between those two things is that one, not just causes you distress, but like gets in the way of your day. Yes. It takes up right. hours. Mm-hmm. hours you of your can't day function yes. without doing the rituals in the right way yes it's not just preferences yeah like chloe kardashian likes her pan she likes to take all of the food out of the packages and put them into clear glass jars which looks nice that's just aesthetic but <laughs> it's not <laughs> impeding her life yeah it's right. not impeding her life it's not making her not leave her house it's not causing her pure distress and like feeling like she's going to crawl out of her skin if she doesn't do it mm-hmm. it's a very can good people have ocd gabby about other people doing stuff like if you're okay with like if chloe kardashian says to her like i'm sure one of many personal assistants mm-hmm. you you stack the oreos <laughs> Well, yeah. So, like, if she's not doing it, is that also like it's probably not OCD? Because, well, so we do. She can like you know phone it phone in. it in. Yeah. Well, there's also though like accommodations or accommodating people with OCD, right? Our loved ones who have OCD, we can accommodate them. So that might mean you have distress about checking doors. So you then ask your significant other to go around and Mm. check all the doors for you and have them then involved in your rituals. Mm, mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that makes sense. Or like the thought of like, oh, well, I'll do it so we can get out of here. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's like, they're just like kind of enabling the person. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Do you guys remember the movie As Good As It Gets? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good example of OCD right there. Mm. The locks, the washing, the throwing away soap bars because you can only use it once, the burning the Mm -hmm. hands with the washing. Yeah. That's a great example of OCD right there. Not Monica from Friends. Who <laughs> likes to clean. Yes. No. You do speak to an important thing, Gabby, because I think a lot of people do automatically think that someone who has OCD is like a clean freak and mm-hmm. this and that. And it's like, no, I have OCD and I've got a sink full of dishes downstairs. Like, mm-hmm. nope, it's not about that. Not <laughs> For about some people, that. sure. But for a lot of people, it has much more to do with your thoughts and – yes like how you operate and live your life from what I understand at least. Yes, that's 100% true. Yes, it's more about thoughts and how you live your life. And there's sometimes there's a ritual sometimes involved, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have to click this thing a certain way or I have to touch this, especially with like just right OCD. It's like I have to touch this until it feels just right for then I can stop and move forward or, you know, like studying. Like I have a client who has like some perpetual doubt stuff and she believes that she, even if she answered a question right, she'll go back and answer it again because the thought of, did I answer it right? Mm-hmm. Let me do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I really know it? Let me try it again. So there's the ritual too of like, well, I have to wear red when I take mm-hmm. my test. And if I don't wear red, then I'm not going to get a good grade on this paper or test or whatever it is. Um to then alleviate the anxiety around the test, right? Yeah, that makes sense. There's so yeah. many little nuances, so many little subtypes, so many little fun things. Parts. Parts, <laughs> moving parts, so many mm-hmm. moving parts. So a lot of times with OCD, it's like what are the things – like working on the things that are most distressing to you right then and like mm-hmm. um, taking like the most time and the most like away from your life. That's what we usually start working on first to then like recognize or realize like you're doing a lot of other things day to day um, that you might not even realize was like impeding on your life, but are. Yeah. Um, And you then like work towards pretty much becoming like your own therapist. Like that's the big goal of ERP work is you see me for one hour a week. Mm-hmm. there's a ton of other time that you are outside of the office so you need to be doing exposures daily mm-hmm. you need to be figuring this out daily about like what's the next step for me to take to up the ante to help habituate to these things or resist the urge to engage in a ritual or resist the urge to engage in um avoidance right uh so you work with your therapist to figure out like what are your like starting block exposures to then up your ante while you're outside of therapy to do harder things um to then come back to therapy the next week to talk about all the things that you did where your sticking points are so then you can game plan with your therapist of like how to do the exposure to maybe even do the exposure in the office with your therapist Mm -hmm. to then go home and try it again on your own That's the big part of ERP work is like 
gaining that knowledge for yourself to know how to respond to your intrusive thoughts and like the urgency to do your rituals. Mm-hmm. I think you just, I think you just said it real well to just kind of tie it all up with a bow there, Gabby. <laughs> Sometimes that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, from what I understand, would you say that your specialties are, I mean, clearly OCD, but mm-hmm. also eating disorders, working with people who have eating disorders? Yes. Yeah. So I always say like my, I specialize in treating clients with OCD, eating disorders, anxiety disorders, and like life transitions, we'll mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Um, because it's usually very anxiety provoking to think about all those big life transitions we have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actually like a lot of times I treat anxiety the same way we treat OCD with exposure, right? Like mm-hmm. let's stop avoiding. What are we going to do? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Have- like avoiding applying for jobs or things like that. Avoiding. Mm-hmm. Avoiding making those action. phone calls. Yep. Avoiding going out with friends. Avoiding. Um, yeah, the action. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'd like to do. So Gabby, for anyone that maybe isn't ready to go to therapy or feels like therapy just isn't the space for them, um, or, you know, maybe just contemplating it and they just aren't sure where to start. Yep. What would you recommend for anyone who's experiencing OCD and like what they could use outside of therapy to help them? Yeah. Um, probably my first recommendation would be download the app NOCD and they have a free um, part of the app that, that you can start doing like exposure work yourself and creating hierarchies for yourself and working through that and giving you skills and things um, for grounding and what to do when you're in like a lot of distress. My next suggestion would be probably jumping on to YouTube and finding his name's like Mark Friedman. And he does like a ton of videos on OCD. And he's even written a book, I think it's called Your Brain is Not a Rock um, about OCD and ERP work and pretty much talking about like the need to exercise your brain daily, Mm. especially with OCD and exercising to help with the fears. Um, And then podcasts, listen to OCD podcasts. There's tons of them out there, like OCD stories. Um, What is it? I think there's like another one, like obsessively ever after. There's also like on Instagram, uh, Jenna Overbach, O-V-E-R-B-A-U-G-H. We'll Mm -hmm. put it in the notes. Um, She came and did a great um, training for us and she put it out, puts out great content. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good OCD therapists yes. that you can follow on Instagram. Yeah. But my first would be like the NOCD app, looking up YouTube videos on ERP, um, and podcasts and then social media. Um, is there anything like, cause I know there's so many misconceptions about OCD. Yes. Is there any warning signs for if someone starts listening to a podcast or a book or watches something on Instagram that you're mm-hmm. like, don't run if they say this or they if say they that. they tell you that you can heal your OCD through food, <laughs> juice cleanses, celery, celery juice is not going to cure your OCD. <laughs> oh no. All right. So those are the, 
Like ERP is it if someone says like Yeah, ERP is it. You if can they're heal like heal it by thinking. If they're like you can heal it through thinking, if you can heal it through like eat it, changing your diet, you can heal it through talk therapy. Um no. You need to do the exposures. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> good. Yeah. yeah. Very good to know. Yeah. So that's my uh, soapbox there for that one. <laughs> also, like, medication does help with it. It really does, along with doing the exposures. So don't be afraid. And I'm not talking about, like, benzos, like Klonopin and Xanax. No, I'm talking about, like, like SSRIs. An SSRI. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about SSRI. If you have OCD also, like, the benzos, like Xanax, it is actually hindering you from getting better with your OCD because it's interesting stopping you from actually fully experiencing your emotions and learning to tolerate the situations. So very, very good point. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for letting us pick your brain, Gabby. We of will course. have everything in the show notes, and yes. we will be back next week. Yay! I can't wait. Thanks, Gabby. You're welcome. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Therapy for Women podcast. To view sources mentioned, suggest a topic, submit a question, or find a qualified therapist, visit therapyforwomencenter.com.